All right. I am sitting across the table today from a beautiful human who also happens to be a leading expert in relationships between literature and psychology. I'll introduce him in a minute, but I first wanted to state a few thoughts I had in preparation for my guest today. I'm going to read, obviously. Um, The Declaration of Who We Are. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you can probably figure out where I'm going with this. The preamble sets up the state of our governance to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty and I don't know why that's capitalized, so we could talk about that, to ourselves and our posterity. Not our prosperity, but our posterity. So the state sets up the fundamental roles rooted in the protection of our birthright as human individuals to be free, to pursue our endowed potential. Neither of those canonical documents guarantee blessings. They don't guarantee blessings of liberty, posterity, again, not prosperity, prosperity, and not happiness, only the pursuit of that state that we're sometimes in. The state is a long-term, the state is a long-term, stable, I mean, posterity, that's future generations. Our emotions are fleeting and always changing states throughout our lives. In the same state, we are bombarded with, that's the big state, with YOLO, FOMO, slice of life, smiling faces, that program us to be pursuing a state of permanent happiness. Most of us exist in other states than happiness most of the time as we navigate our individual paths to secure our own blessings of liberty and posterity. It is in those other states that we find true learning, growth, meaning, purpose, and creativity. To know true happiness, one must also know true sadness, as it were. This thought I had on various states was inspired in part by my guest today. He is an author of several books, which we will no doubt plug in today's episode. I'll leave plenty of time for that. He's an English professor at Wake Forest University, a podcast show host, father, athlete, and aspiring painter as well. We'll talk about that. Eric G. Wilson is here, and I'd like to begin by asking you if you wanted to respond to anything I just said, and would you please share your thoughts? Oh, how about the revelatory powers of melancholy? All right. Thank you, first of all, Andy, for that beautiful introduction. I'm so happy to be here and happy to talk to you about these ideas that I've been living with for a very long time. So the, uh, first of all, I'd like to talk about the Declaration of Independence. Um, when I was researching my 2008 book, Against Happiness, um, I was really struck by the fact that America as a nation, from the very get-go, founded itself on utopian ideas. Right? So even, even the first pilgrims who came over in 1620, of course, wanted to establish a sort of religious utopia, the idea that religious freedom would lead to a kind of earthly bliss that was not available to them on European shores. Well, this translates in the 18th century during the Enlightenment um, to the idea that we may not find true happiness necessarily through faith, but through reason. And certainly Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence, was deeply steeped um, in Enlightenment ideas, mm. as was Benjamin Franklin and others. As such, um, Thomas Jefferson was aware of a, a really famous political work from 1690 um, by John Locke called The Second Treatise of Government. And that treatise says that everyone in a free nation has a right to life, liberty, and property. 
So it's just interesting to me that when Jefferson sat down to write the Declaration of Independence, he substituted the pursuit of happiness for property. Mm. Now, in some ways, I believe in our, in our, still in our contemporary scene and throughout American history, the pursuit of property is somehow this little, little phantom you know, underneath the idea of the pursuit of happiness. The idea being that to be happy in America is to own enough material, own enough stuff, own enough property to where you feel as if you have a kind of comfortable environment where you can get almost every need met. Now, that's the fantasy. It's not the reality. But you think of the kind of model of the gated community, say. Um, it's a world where there is total familiarity. There's a world where there is total insularity. Um, there's a real sense that if I live here, then I will be happy. So in writing my book Against Happiness, I want to explore that idea, to explore what I saw as American ideas of happiness, not universal ideas of happiness. Which is um, why I started yes, with the, yes. those documents. Yes, yeah. yes. And it just seems to me that in, that in America, there's a sense that happiness is not so much joy, um, which, as you suggested earlier, is very much dependent upon a, a, a deep sense of sorrow at the same time. But rather, American happiness seems to be a desire for a kind of contentment a kind of trouble-free life. I mean, we see that not only in gated communities, but we see it with, say, um, plastic surgery in, in certain forms. The idea that well, we don't have to grow old. You know, we can stay young the rest of our lives. So I think that's just the fantasy that we, we can live in a world where we, where we don't have to suffer. Again, obviously, it's an ideal, but I think a lot of people in the self-help world and also in the world of like big pharmacy, where you often take medication for sadness that is really normal, mm -hmm. um, but the, the idea is that we shouldn't have to be sad really at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you said a couple of things. The property, I was just thinking about, like, there is the the tangible property, mm -hmm. but I was thinking more like, could it also include intangibles, like our ideas and sure. and the the just the things we create that mm -hmm. other people share in, and so not much what we bring in ourselves mm -hmm. but what we give to the world so that's the way i kind of read it mm -hmm. in a mm -hmm. in a very optimistic way but well, the the message we mm -hmm. get here mm -hmm. is that no t in order to be happy mm -hmm. you need these things well i think that's that's part of the message in, in mainstream america mm -hmm. um and it's not just things it's it's just a kind of stability too as a psychological stability um a stability of identity um mm -hmm. I, I don't have to grow old if i do these things i don't have to be sad if i do these things now obviously um to, to, to turn toward your idea, um, the idea that Jefferson did say pursuit of happiness mm -hmm. is, is important. And I think that's often lost in, in American ideas of happiness, too, that, that happiness, ultimately, for me anyway, is not a state. Um, it's a constant process, a kind of, a kind of way of being. And I'd like to elaborate on that. So I've been, yes, please. I've been, I've, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, I was diagnosed in my um, early thirties. Um, I had just had a, a daughter. Um, she was about one year old or so. Um, before I had my daughter, um, I was worked sometimes 10, 12 hours a day, would train two hours a day. Then I would drink a lot of alcohol. In other words, I was doing a lot to distract myself mm -hmm. from, from my inner life. And I'd become successful in the, in the academic world and felt like I was okay. But when my daughter came along, those, pra those habits were compromised. I couldn't work as much. I couldn't train as much. I didn't want to drink as much. So I really dipped into a very, very deep depression and got the diagnosis. 
started psychotherapy, started taking medication, and I still take three medications for depression. So I'm certainly in no way against mm -hmm. um, pharmaceuticals for, for depression. But I would distinguish between clinical depression and what I call melancholy. So clinical depression, as I've experienced it and others, is, is terrible. It should be treated any way possible. It's a mm -hmm. feeling of apathy and, and indifference. Um, you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. You don't want to do anything. Everything feels exactly the same terrible. You know, it's like channel surfing late at night when you've seen every show, but you keep channel surfing anyway. Mm -hmm. It's like every minute kind of feels that way in that, that, that deep depression, at least for me. However, there's another state, which, which I call melancholy. And to me, that's a positive state. It's this sense of yearning for something else, yearning for something better, like like the feeling that the way I am now, the way the world is now, is not as it should be. I'm not necessarily comfortable in my skin. But that's not a terrible thing. Um, because that feeling can, yes, cause confusion and disorientation, but it can also cause doubt. It can also lead to deeper contemplation. Um, it can also foster visions of new ways of living and create creativity. So, so melancholy, as I argue in my book against happiness, can be generative. Um, it can be a kind of spur to a better something elseness, or it can be a spur to go deeper into what you already have and appreciate it in a new way. Mm -hmm. What I argue in against happiness is that melancholy is really inseparable from joy. Um, and if you think about it, the times in life when you feel most alive, it's often hard to tell, am I happy or am I sad? Am I laughing or am I crying? Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the great moments of life. Now, obviously, you can't have those or moments I'm, all the time. I'm miserable because of <laughs> things outside it, my exactly my, my, my abilities. Yeah. yeah. So so I, I, feel, I feel like that America should should explore idea, explore more of this idea of like that melancholy, not depression, melancholy is not necessarily bad. In, in fact, it's just part of a normal life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like in America, we want all up with no down or all, all white with no black. Well, that just doesn't work, mm -hmm. right? This idea of this constant interplay between joy and sorrow, misery and ecstasy. I mean, to me, that's where the, where the jazz is. That's where the, that's where the life mm -hmm. is. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that a lot of people go to the word depression when they're feeling melancholy because no one's really mm -hmm. shown them what the difference is and how important mm -hmm. one is and how mm -hmm. how debilitating the other can be, but how generative, I like that word, mm -hmm. generative, that, that state of of reflection, maybe deep, mm -hmm. uh, even dark thoughts, but sure. you know, you can't find your light until you, you explore the darkness kind of thing. Well, think about this. I mean, I, you know, I teach college students, so college kids come their freshman year, there's going to be some sorrow because they're like the, their, their former identity as like a high school student as, as a student, as a person in their hometown is being challenged. It's being compromised and that causes disruption. That causes a kind of melancholy, but it's almost always generative because you, you expand your sense of identity. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, myself is bigger than I thought it was. You know, I, I now have these friends as well as these friends. I now are in these clubs as opposed to the, and it's just, and almost any time in life when we go through a feeling of, of, of melancholy, and it can be grief sometimes, it can be mourning sometimes, we always learn something about ourselves. And usually we learn about a power within ourselves that we didn't know we had before. Mm -hmm. No, that's I, I think that's right. And you have, uh, I know in your, your books, and I've seen you talk before, and you, you know, bring up uh, quotations and, and readings from literature and and show how some of the greatest works that mm -hmm. we hold dear are were created in those moments and uh, and, and that's what you know probably the majority of great writings mm -hmm. were from a place of not 
eternal happiness, but <laughs> but the you know being melancholy. Well, the studies have shown that out, borne that out. There's a there's a psychologist named Kay Redfield Jameson who's done a lot of work in this regard. I mean, she does work mainly on bipolar disorder, which is a form of clinical depression, obviously, and creativity. And, mm-hmm. and it turns out that that a lot of our great artists were either clinically depressed or at least of a melancholy disposition. And 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 again, let me go back a little bit. It's interesting just to kind of track the history of melancholy. And mm-hmm. the word melancholy comes from. Um, you know, the Greek, Latin, black bile. I mean, the idea was in, in, in the ancient world that we're made up of four different fluids or humors, mm-hmm. black bile, yellow bile, um, blood and phlegm. I won't go into that. It's too arcane. Okay. But the idea was in the ancient world that, it, that, that if you're born with like too much black bile, you have a melancholy disposition. It's kind of a primitive genetic theory. Mm-hmm. And the idea was if you have melancholy as your primary sort of disposition, that's terrible. You know, you're, 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 you're antisocial, you're prone to lie, you're prone to steal. It's awful. And that idea really persisted in the Middle Ages. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was thought that if you're melancholy, you're more likely to be possessed by a demon, um, all this stuff. But there was a real shift um, in, in the late 15th century. This um, Italian philosopher named Marsilio Ficino said that, you know what, I'm melancholy, but I think my melancholy has made me a good philosopher. Well, why? Well, because I'm willing to, to sit with doubt because I'm confused a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm anxious, I stay up really late, I read a lot. Um, and he developed this whole idea that melancholy people tend to be more imaginative and tend to be more thoughtful than non-melancholy people. And that was a real shift. So suddenly in, in, in British literature, you see not heroes of action, but heroes of consciousness, like Hamlet. Mm-hmm. So Hamlet's a hero, he's a tragic hero, but he's heroic because he thinks about everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And so my favorite poets of the early 19th century in England, the Romantic poets, really draw on this idea um, that, that, that melancholy and imagination go hand in hand mm-hmm. in this regard. John Keats, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, Lord Byron, people like that. Yeah. So the, the big five personality traits kind of comes out from that. Was it four biles you said? Was yeah, four, four humors. Four humors, humors four, yeah. yeah, so so black bile would, would be melancholy. You're more likely to be depressed. Yellow bile is is is, is leads to irascibility. Mm-hmm. Um, blood or the sanguine disposition leads to optimism. Mm-hmm. And the phlegmatic disposition is you're kind of laid back and, and cool. Mm-hmm. All right? And we all have each each of those but, mm-hmm. but we have a your propensity to one or the other right, was the right. idea was the idea yeah well it holds true with the it kind of does right? <laughs> yeah, right yeah well and you said something else like uh you know to be quiet with ourselves to mm-hmm. sit down and meditate and and so many people and i think this uh glorification of busy we have in our world doesn't allow for people to want mm-hmm. to be in a quiet space alone yeah. with their thoughts because it go it could go to dark place but yeah. those there's i think that's we're meant to go explore those, and, mm-hmm. and our society is telling us, no, 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 that, that's danger there. Don't mm-hmm. go there. Mm-hmm. But what what helps you overcome the things you're most scared yeah. of is doing more of those things. That, that, that's right. That's that. So so. there's an interesting book that came out, I think, around 2006, 2007, called The Loss of Sadness um, by two psychologists, Horowitz and Wakefield. And they studied the DSM, um, you know, the manual mm-hmm. that psychiatrists use to, to diagnose depression. A lot dep- of our depression. Sure. know the DSM. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I'm sure. Um, and they showed that, you know, over, over time, you know, the DSM is, of course, changed. It changes every time it comes out. But, but they, they noted that, that a lot of moods that would have just been considered a normal part of human experience over time became seen as 
states of clinical depression needed medication. I mean, for instance, if you know, say a relative dies and, and you are really, really You're sad for, for over like yeah. 10 days, two weeks, I don't know the exact number, then you'll often get medication. Now, again, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. It, it may be really helpful for those people. But the, the, it sends the message, I think, that you know, it, there is a danger of, of going too deep, of sitting too long. Mm-hmm. And so let's, 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 let's deal with that. Whereas, you know, what you're suggesting, if you do sit with that grief, you know, or that sadness, some, something will come of it. Now, that's, that's part of what you, or part of what I'm thinking of based on what you said. But also, there's this sense in our culture that it's so easy to distract ourselves endlessly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would make an argument for boredom in a way mm-hmm. because you know boredom in some ways even though we say oh you should never be bored is kind of a a, a gateway drug mm-hmm. if you will yeah. to meditation to to contemplation if you if you put your computer away your smartphone away for a day you're going to feel really really bored mm-hmm. but eventually you're going to start thinking about stuff yeah. that you haven't thought about in a long time and some of that stuff might be unsettling mm-hmm. you know, disorienting but you 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 will you'll work through it hopefully yeah and a lot of people self medicate so their thoughts don't go to those well, I do still yeah, and for, you yeah. know, I mean, that's, right. that's what alcohol is for you know? yeah. <laughs> it, has no, place. It, still, it still does so yeah I mean and again all I'm, all I'm saying I'm, I'm not trying to come across as preachy at all I'm, I'm just saying that, that, that I, fe- I feel like I, I fear that the way melancholy not depression the way what I'm calling melancholy the way it's being treated in the kind of the pop world and the medical world that this distinction between depression and melancholy is going away mm-hmm. and that melancholy is now going to be treated as depression. Mm-hmm. And as such, it's seen as a sickness that needs to be cured as opposed to just a natural part of living as a human being. Yeah. And I think that's dangerous. I mean, you know, I think there's melancholy and happiness to be found in the pursuit of something, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. noble. And I think once we stop and think how noble is our pursuit in life, mm-hmm. sometimes we think about like, lack of mm-hmm. achieving you know or, or reaching potential and mm-hmm. that you know that drives you down further oh shit you know mm-hmm. fml kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. and so the pursuit i think is a important word to key on there so that mm-hmm. you know happiness again back to happiness as a state of like recognizing all the things that are going on in your life right now in this very moment, you're mm-hmm. feeling this happiness mm-hmm. and that's great. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. could be, you know, some people call that joy. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think joy is kind of a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but happy is a feeling that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where am I going with this? Uh, it, it was something I wanted to be, bring back to mm-hmm. comfort. Right. You know, you mentioned comfort and the, I guess our society has reached a point where we can, where we should be, you know, pursuing our thoughts and our creativity mm-hmm. at the the most we ever have been able to mm-hmm. since the Enlightenment. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and but we're have such a lack of lack. Everything's mm-hmm. provided. We mm-hmm. everything's pretty comfy. Mm-hmm. So anytime anything uncomfortable creeps in, mm-hmm. we immediately go to either medication or we go to an authority figure sure. or you know we we cry out for help. A lot of, guilty, lot of, yeah. I mean, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, but I'm yeah. saying yeah. as a society, there's yeah. more and more of that happening yes. sooner. And I think that why people are uh, afraid to be alone in their thoughts, or we glorify busy, mm-hmm. um, we don't take those quiet times. And it's um, oh, God, I had a point in here somewhere. Um, oh, we're more activated when something that doesn't sit right with mm-hmm. us comes along, mm-hmm. and therefore we react mm-hmm. instead of take the time to respond. So there's a lack of reflection Mm -hmm. 
going on in the zeitgeist. I think it's just, what does this mean? I don't care. It's just mm-hmm. new information, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go off on it. You know, yeah. we're activated, yeah. and that's dangerous, I think. Well, I, I, I'll use myself as an example. Um, you know, when, when a hurricane comes or a storm comes and the power goes out, I hate it. I can't stand it. It's like I'm, I want to come back on immediately but because right. so much of my comfort, as I define it, is dependent upon electricity. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I think, but but in some ways, that like that 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 loss of power, if you if you you know transfer it to moods and psychology, it is like that that moment of disruption where we're suddenly your plan breaks down. Mm-hmm. You know the, the way the, your habits that you've used to get through the world successfully have been compromised. Mm-hmm. And of course, I like most of us immediately want to fix the machine, right? Yeah. As opposed to just like you say be be patient and and be quiet and and think well what does this mean? What what does it mean? did it break down because maybe it's not quite suited for where I am in my life right now? Mm-hmm. Do I need kind of a new cognitive map? You know, for, 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 for where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those are major moments, I think, when we do slow down or when we're forced to slow down. Mm-hmm. Like when I lose power for three hours, I'm, I'm incensed. But when <laughs> I lose power for like 48 hours, like yeah. something else happens, You've right? Adapted, I yeah. mean, you adapt and you start, you start seeing things in your house you hadn't seen before in the candlelight, say, and you, and you talk to people you haven't talked to before. I mean, it's so, it, so I think that's a lesson. There's a lesson there that if we can make ourselves mm-hmm. slow down when our machine, you know, gets a our cognitive machine gets a flat tire, yeah. then well maybe we'll find you know, a better way to ride down the road. Yeah, I think I love that term cognitive map yeah. refresh. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people need that. They've been glued to the TV for the last four years and they're going crazy. Yeah. People are crazy out there when they're if that's your life yeah. studying the yeah. the media coverage twenty four seven of politics, you're crazy. Well, yeah. There are a lot of insane yeah. people out there yeah. right now. And they're activated, and I think everyone needs to take a step back and refresh their cognitive maps a little bit. Well, let's, you know? I mean, that's I mean, a great point. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're caught up in the news media, no matter which side of the political fence you're on, I mean, there's really a kind of a loss of of, of reality, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I mean, the term fake news is bandied about, of course, but 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 the bottom line is, I think a lot of us are like, well, what what is what is real? Who who can I trust? And and one way to think about that is, well, if if you stop watching the TV for two, three, four, five days, you'll 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 sink into parts of yourself that you might feel like you can trust, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can go back to that kind of primal sense of like, you know, yeah, I'm, if if I just go deep into myself, there's something there that I have that I feel a palpable realness in mm-hmm. that I'm not going to get from from the media or from the internet or whatnot. And again, you, I don't think many of us want to live that way. I'm mm-hmm. not saying we should become hermits, but I do think we're it's we're talking about a rhythm here. Well, right. I, I think yeah. it's a level set of what is true and what you really believe in. I mean, once in a while I do this quarterly or maybe once a year sometimes mm-hmm. more, but it's like just stating, I believe, and then mm-hmm. writing some things that you have no question about. And mm-hmm. then think about if someone questioned those, mm-hmm. anyone ever challenged you on it, how would you back it up? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you uh, declare that you know that to be true? And I, um, you know, that sort of gets me to, I was kind of leading into this, but the, the morbid curiosity of mm-hmm, all this stuff mm-hmm. that's going on. I mean, that's the train wreck that yeah. some people are so glued to. You know, if new information mm-hmm. comes out, they tune to their show and they're glued mm-hmm. to it. And they're typing on Facebook. I'm giddy because I'm watching this new piece of information that's going to give me hope yeah. for what, really? Yeah, it's yeah. like some outcome that you've been told yeah. is 
what you should be behind. And yes. so there's that level set, I think, that we – and I do it by going to Salem Lake and running seven miles. I out, same. I've seen, you, I've seen you out there. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, get away from humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll see the, mm-hmm. the enlightened ones on the trail with you. but <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> but you don't that's have right. houses. That's you don't right. have roads. You don't have street noise. You don't have to be as aware. Mm-hmm. You can listen to nature and really you get in that flow state. And I think mm-hmm. flow state is important for people to reach, and that mm-hmm. can be in the melancholy thought process mm-hmm, or it can mm-hmm. be elated because and you're and you're thinking of ways to be gra- grateful for for all of the the blessed what was it oh gosh i forgot already the the blessings of liberty i was going mm-hmm. somewhere where so yeah i mean the the blessings blessings of liberty whatever that is the mm-hmm. blessings i mean mm-hmm. you know we count our blessings when we're being grateful right, and and, right. and that's where i was going and then the the posterity thing i mean that's that's something that I don't think our society allows us to look at much either. Like, I've noticed this about myself. My purview in the future has been 12 months or less mm-hmm. for so long. Mm-hmm. And I just had kind of an epiphany. It wasn't a happy one, but it, I, I could take it two ways. I could be really regretful or I could learn from it and figure out how I, what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And so one of the answers I came up with was, be far-sighted. Play mm-hmm. the long game. Mm-hmm. Play the long game, and everything else is going to melt away. As far as like mm-hmm. where I sh- think I should be at my mm-hmm. at fifty-two years of age, mm-hmm. um, and and where I am, and where yeah. I can go, yeah. and yeah. and that's where the posterity. Posterity is a continuum, and it's what your legacy is. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you leaving to posterity? And I don't think I think we've lost some of that. Mm-hmm. That we're not thinking. We're just thinking about. You know, many people are thinking, "Oh God, November can't come mm-hmm. soon enough." You know, mm-hmm. they're stuck mm-hmm. on that. But you know, I'm I'm trying to think now. What's in it? What am I doing the next fifty years? Right. You know, what's my ten year, twenty year? Right. And then uh, I worked for a group for a while. They would always ask, "You know, what's your five hundred year plan?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. "Whoa, okay, that's, that's interesting. talk about yeah. posterity." Will I even be? You know. If the internet doesn't exist, then uh, I will be forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. I don't have a statue of myself yeah. downtown, or yeah. you know, you know, what is my legacy? Right, so, right. So I don't know. I, I don't have a question there. Just well, I, 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 you know, one of one of my books um, I, is, is called "Keep It Fake: Inventing an Authentic Life." And in that book, I, I study you know neurology, I study philosophy, and and really conclude that that our sense of identity is always narrative. It's always a narrative, mm-hmm. right? So if I said, Andy, who are you? I mean, I mean, you you and all of us would would either unconsciously or consciously start thinking, well, I'm the guy that this happened to when I was five. Mm-hmm. And that led to this happening to oh, me yeah, when I was yeah. seven. And that happened to me when I was 25. In other words, we would immediately start constructing a narrative. Now, how many things have happened to you? Millions. Mm-hmm. But you would focus on maybe 50, the, one, the memories that were so most striking to you. And the memories you would focus on at 52 may not be the memories you'd focus on at 62. Mm-hmm. So the idea that I explored was that, yes, not only is our sense of identity a story, but it's a story that ideally we should always be revising. Mm-hmm. And, and so this, the narrative you imagine for yourself has very much to do with this idea of posterity. I mean, what's, what's the dramatic arc of my life? If I, if I were a character in a novel, mm-hmm. a novel of my own making, if I were the protagonist, how would I want it to end? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, I, and, and to me, that's important because it, it, it encourages imagination. 
And also it encourages freedom. The idea that the, the, there's, no su- there's no such thing as essential identity. It's like there's no essential Eric Wilson this once and for all time. The idea that you find yourself to me is very dangerous because mm-hmm. there's no self-defined. I think we make ourselves yeah, to a yeah, certain yeah, extent. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're depressed, and this is what cognitive behavioralism is all about to a certain extent. If you're depressed, choose different habits mm-hmm. based on a different vision of your life. And it's always future-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um so that's been an important idea for me. And you know, it, it's tied into melancholy in, 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 a, in a general way in, in this fashion, um, to go back to joy. So a writer that many people admire, C.S. Lewis, um, had this really fabulous memoir called Surprised by Joy. And in it, he says that when he got to be a certain age, when he started being really reflective, late teens, early 20s, he realized that he had this deep longing for something he couldn't quite define. This sense of like, there's something, there's something else out there. And if I could just get that, mm-hmm. um, it would, it would be great. And he used to really, uh, you, you know, like fancy German term to, to talk about this. It's called Zinzut, um, which really means a kind of deep longing that is pleasurable. Mm-hmm. So, so think about, you know, just when you just feel this kind of almost pleasant longing. I mean, you may be staring at the ocean late at night or you may be, you know, roasting uh, marshmallows with your kids over the fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, it's like, it's like you're, 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 you're happy, but also there's a sense of this, this longing you know, for something else. Is that sanguine? Well, sanguine is more sanguine. Um, like optimistic. Okay. I mean, um, but it's just this – and C.S. Lewis ultimately says, well, that's what leads to our idea of God. Because he, I was he going, I was because he's a Christian, yeah. you know, he said that's that he said that's that's the that's the God part of us. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we need to see it that way. I think to me, it's an interesting way to think about the future. It's it's like it's like we well, you know what what are those profound longings? I mean that that I really have, and instead of saying oh I can never get that, mm-hmm. fit it into your narrative. You know, fit yeah, it fit yeah. it into your sense of you know who do I want to be when I'm seventy or, or or eighty. And of course, that's a very social decision. I think ultimately, especially if you have children or have a family, because you want to think well how am I going to be seen by my daughter mm-hmm. um, when I'm 50 or yeah, I, yeah. I am 50. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to live like a 30 year old when I'm 70 or, or whatever. Or so tomorrow I, night. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I think I think that's a really interesting, it's a really provocative idea. That What was the German word? It's um, S-E-H-N-S-U-C-H-T. Zinzucht. Zinzucht. And, it, and again, it's like, it's like um, uh, schadenfreude or, or it's like one of those German terms you can't quite translate yeah, English yeah. just right. Well, I was thinking that's it, blessings it, of liberty on well, you know, it kind of, kind like, of is. I mean, yeah. again, it's like it, it is. It is a yearning, but you love so much what you're yearning for, and even if you can't have it, the yearning is somehow pleasant. Mm-hmm. So here's an interesting way to think about it. I gave a talk some years ago on against happiness at a college, and some guy came up to me after, and he goes, um, "Well, you know what? I think what you're talking about is this. When when he says, I believe when we're born, God scoops out a hole in our soul, and for the rest of our life, we're trying to fill that hole." And I said, well, I'm not really a Christian, but that's an interesting way you mm-hmm. know, to, th- to think about this sense of, of, of yearning for something yeah, that, yeah. that organizes your life. Well, that's yeah. the, the notion. If, if you had everything, if you were completely whole, what, what, would, what would you like? What would you live for? Right. Well, you, you would <laughs> lack limitation. Yeah. Right? I've heard that said. And it's yeah. like that's what guarantees the human experience, mm-hmm. you know, and— well, I think, I mean, we, we pursue wholeness, but if we feel whole, then there's no pursuit anymore. Right, right, right. right. So, I mean, I, I like the idea of like there's always, you know, a kind of a, that, that lack 
doesn't have to be bad. Light mm-hmm. can be full mm-hmm. because light is what generates the energy we have you know, to get out in the world and do things. Well, and that's yeah. why I got to believe people like Bezos and Gates and these guys that have more money than they can ever spend in their lifetime. It's it's just like they're still they're still filling that hole. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. still there's always you know it's the pushing the rock mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. You'll reach a plateau, but guess what? There's another hill. Mm-hmm. That's start, right. Start that's pushing. Right. You know, and they don't ever want to stop pushing. So I don't hate the billionaire. I kind of want to know what makes them do what they do you know and, i i i mean i admire people with a fire in their belly mm-hmm. you know who who i mean we have all kinds of terms for it. oh he's obsessive he's driven but you know i that's what makes my life meaningful i, I i'm very driven toward what i love to do yeah and, and people that i see around who seem to have joy in their hearts do that. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, they're they're living for something beyond their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've got a fire in their belly that, that that turns them on. It could be art, it could be running, it could be training, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. But if you're only defined obviously by your job and your responsibilities, you're going to be miserable. Yeah, it's who we are, not yeah. what we are. I yeah. mean, back to the identity yeah. thing. I mean, uh, you know, we have all these messages, mixed messages, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, in the I, I keep saying zeitgeist, but uh, it's there, and it's you know, it's we we really need to answer that question who we are not what Mm -hmm, because i think mm -hmm. we're so focused on what we are what is your profession what are you contributing what do you look like Mm -hmm. you know what's your hair texture Mm -hmm. you know it just comes down it's like there's no end to how that can be sliced and diced and Mm -hmm. put into little subgroups and subgroups Mm -hmm. and subgroups so you could go down that road or um you know figure out what your true pursuit is um Mm -hmm. for your your own posterity Mm -hmm. and you know find your own agency and ask yourself who they and like you said i love that that the narrator the the you know the uh narrative Mm -hmm. we have we Mm -hmm. make up and i i've noticed that in the last Two decades, mm-hmm. I guess. I can speak in decades. Yeah, now. I'm that old. We're the same age. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, like it's yeah. like I've I've revised my story many yeah, times because there yeah. were you know there were things I told one way when I was a certain age, and then I would reflect and figure mm-hmm. out well that's not entirely you know looking at it from an outside mm-hmm. perspective. You, you could pick apart parts that you were holding up yeah. with this narrative, and you say, well, "No, I'm tearing that down, yeah. and I'm going to rebuild bigger." Like with more truth, sure, you know? sure, but yeah. So each time the truth creates a stronger, mm-hmm. bigger foundation to that story, and sometimes it's admitting some very, very thing, well, things that make you melancholy and things well, that get you downright freaking sad and depressed. Well, I, to me, to me, the 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 breakdown in the narrative; those are the moments of melancholy usually. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the story I was living by, it ain't working anymore. Right. And that hurts yeah. most of the time. It's not like, oh, it's getting you. It's like, oh, no, what what now? And when you get through like a major change in your life and you and I have gone through some major changes, I know it's like those old stories break down. Mm-hmm. And then what are you going to do? Well, you can fall into deep, 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 deep sorrow. Or, yeah, like you say, you you got to construct. Mm-hmm. A, you got to go a different direction. I mean, it's not like you can eradicate what happened. Right. You build, right. Like you say, you build on it. and. Hopefully, give yourself you know more space and more freedom um, mm-hmm. and more power is yeah. ultimately what we want. But but that takes a lot of imagination and a lot of will yeah. to make that happen. Yeah, it does, and a lot of grace for others. Well, that's too. true too. That's you right. Know, that's what. That's right. You know, we've talked a lot about the individual, and then you know we bring in society and and our communities. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways for healthy communities, I think, is is to recognize when people 
uh, you know, need to be left alone, when they mm-hmm. need to be talked to, when they need connection, and, and when they need medication. Well, to me, you know, if, if, if you're attuned to the, 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 the messier sides of yourself, the sides that may feel like failure or, or, or sorrow or, again, doubt or confusion, I think if we're attuned to those parts of ourselves, we're going to be more empathetic people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to, we're going to, if we're attuned to our own suffering, we're going to be more attuned to the suffering of others. Yeah, yeah. So there's a real, there is a kind of ethical component. I mean, if you go through life wanting to feel happy all the time, you're probably not going to think much about the suffering of others. Yeah. You know, but if you think about your own suffering, then, then, then maybe you can. Mm-hmm. And look, I mean, all, all I've said so far about my own life, I mean, a lot of that is predicated on the fact that I'm, I'm, a, I'm very lucky. I mean, I'm a middle class white man in a culture that, that is very much accommodates middle and upper class white men. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were from a different class or a different race or a different gender, would I have these opportunities? Maybe, maybe not. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I wrote against happiness in 2008, I wasn't really thinking about those issues. Yeah, but, yeah, but more yeah. and more, I think about how your you know, your your social your, your social your social luck of the draw yeah. you know determ- determines these ideas. What I've written against happiness, if I were in a different race, class, or gender, um, in the same way I did, the answer is no. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, this isn't universal experience. This is very kind of class driven or societally driven to a certain extent. Yeah, you said a lot there because social determinants is like one of our big pushes. Mm-hmm. And I think people are waking up to realizing what that is and, mm-hmm. and the realities behind that and hopefully uncovering some of the um, made up stuff, the sensationalized part. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a lot of what's being talked about um, is good. I think most of it's good, but there is an underlying uh, distrust, I think, in a lot of places because there are um, a- aspects of uh, these narratives mm-hmm, that are mm-hmm. sensationalized and being used mm-hmm. and weaponized to um, enact policy, sure. um, to change, you know, to to change, you know, force people to change mm-hmm. in ways that I don't think uh, uh, keeps the agency and the individual rights, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at mm-hmm. paramount. And I think that I think there's something baked into all this that. Uh, when we look at those determinants that mm-hmm. we really focus on um, the the real numbers and mm-hmm. the realities of what has taken place in the past, but also mm-hmm. where the mainstream narrative, because mm-hmm. there is kind of a prevailing mm-hmm. mainstream narrative about our society, how that um, is dividing people. And, and, mm-hmm. and instead of celebrating the gains mm-hmm. that we make in our individual communities, we compare them. And when you make the comparison, then it's a rank order. And then, of mm-hmm. course, then you're going to have all kinds of reasons to to uh, shout out right. or to right. call out right. or right. or however that plays out. But I think that... I think once we mm-hmm. we really focus on the truth, and I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm getting at, is when we when we when when we look at truth and whether that brings you mm-hmm. to a sad place or a happy place, mm-hmm. the truth will bring you there, and that's where you do have to reflect and and check on your narratives mm-hmm. and figure out if, you know where it's coming from really right. and and what your beliefs are, and then that what what hole in you is missing, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what what parts are you not filling, and what was that C.S. Lewis said about the there was something, you know, we're all looking for that. Well, yeah, that, 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 that one thing that we think would complete us, mm-hmm. that, that, that is endlessly inaccessible, but yet we desire it anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, what, what you, what you said, I can, I can kind of talk about in a very personal way. Um, you know, I, 
I've, I've always fashioned myself a liberal, um, and but 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 I've 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 come in contact with 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 students of color or or, or uh, you know colleagues of color, and it, it's just really made me question my idea of 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 my own sense of what the good life is. I've mm-hmm. always thought, okay, well, you know, um, I'm compassionate toward those who suffer. Um, I value all races and you know, l- look how good I am. Um, but in, but in talking to, to, to some of my colleagues and students, I, I realized that you know, my idea of what happiness is, is a very kind of white male idea of happiness. And, and I've said, well, you know, I've tried. I've been responsible. Uh, I've I've pulled myself up, you know, and did. I've done the hard work, so I deserve all this kind of stuff. The whole kind of meritocracy yeah, yeah, dream. Yeah. And that's and I've realized that's kind of easy for me to say, but but because you know I've had a, a, a clear path in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. A lot of other people haven't, and it's made me think that you know what I call melancholy. In some ways, that might be a kind of luxury for me because it's easy for me to cultivate this melancholy because I'm pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. But if I lived a, a life of you know injustice and tyranny and oppression, yeah. that melancholy wouldn't necessarily be this sort of luxury for a contemplative, creative life. It might be something else entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, um, sure. So, so that's kind of what I'm getting at when, you, when I talk about there. There are social factors in play yeah. when we think about moods. Yeah. Um, that, that gives me pause when I say, well, every mood is the same for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think yeah. a lot of that, too, I mean, the system part of all mm-hmm. that that you know I am blind I have blind spots for that mm-hmm. too I think mm-hmm. I think many of us do um, and those are you know we're, we're making those clear so we can see through them mm-hmm. I think we're, we're make, doing the work as they say and, sure. and learning more yeah. and understanding mm-hmm. more and I think that the the uh, God what was I gonna say the systemic part of that is uh, you know what we need to recognize and and, and try to lift everyone up because I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the meritocracy mm-hmm, i just mm-hmm. think that the starting lines are different mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know that's mm-hmm. that's the problem and that's the mm-hmm, systemic part mm-hmm, i think but mm-hmm. uh, i i think the message there and that's why i go back to the canonical preamble mm-hmm. and and the declaration of independence because i think sometimes we lose sight of that and i mm-hmm. i sort of get i sort of bristle when people talk about all oh, the we need to redo the Constitution mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, because I, I think there's something that's really important um, to to latch on to there. And mm-hmm. I think that um, the 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 oppressed, um, uh, I think we're all oppressed to mm-hmm. some degree. I mean, mm-hmm. we just, some of us start out with way sure, more of a struggle. Sure, sure. And, mm-hmm. and they have a lot more debris mm-hmm. flying at right, them right. the rest of us have some smooth mm-hmm. smooth mm-hmm. smooth airspace so yeah. um not sure where i was going with that well america i mean america as an idea is a be- it's a beautiful idea it's a beautiful idea and people from all over the world recognize that for for, for centuries yeah. and obviously there's a gap between the idea and, and the reality but but the declaration of independence even though it was written by a slave owner mm-hmm. um, who obviously had huge blind spots in his life, it's it's still a very hopeful and and, and lovely document yeah, b- yeah. because it opens up this space for possibility. Yeah, and I think that's what America ideally means. It, mm-hmm. me- it means possibility. Yeah, and potential a- and potential and um, t- to and to me. Uh, that's always tied in with imagination. It's always tied in with expansion. Mm-hmm. I mean and and you know being someone who's a writer and studies literature, you know whenever the political and 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 the the, the artistic can come together, mm-hmm. that excites me. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like that document the declaration of independence calls forth yeah. that that sort of of 
of life and, and, and the great works of American literature like like Moby Dick and like uh, The Great Gatsby are mm. all about exactly that. Yeah. This sense of this like grand, wonderful potentiality that's not quite attainable, mm-hmm. but it calls forth great energies, yeah. sometimes tragic energies, yeah. but great energies nonetheless. So, you know, when I think about the meritocracy, I think, I think and, you, and you said story arcs earlier, mm-hmm. I was thinking about, you know, where am I at? And I'm like, I'm getting... I'm starting to train to go slay the dragon. You know, it took me all this time, but mm-hmm. that's what I'm I'm doing. I'm not going to try to tame it necessarily. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. not my big five traits. Well, that's a see, and that's that's that. I mean, story is always connected to myth, and mm-hmm. it's interesting that you would say slay the dragon, yeah, because that's just like a very deep, you know, mythological archetype, right? But it's still a very powerful way to think about organizing your life, right? You know, well, I think yeah. so, and I think yeah. that that message. Uh, you know, of just some stories take longer to get going. I mean, you know, <laughs> and some That's have right. arcs that you're like, not sure where That's it's right. headed. That's and right. and, yeah. and then others end up with a happy ending. And there's, there's that word happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we, we've talked a lot about melancholy, but we all want the happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So, you, yeah. you know, you're a teacher um, yeah. and you teach college kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what have you seen over the? I mean, God, how, when did you start teaching at Wake? Uh, Ninety eight. So Tw- yeah, twenty one years. So twenty one years, and yeah. a lot's happened. I mean, we yes. had, you know, we had the internet. Um, the class of two thousand was the first to get ThinkPad. That's right. Um, I was involved in in that rollout. Um, yeah. The, uh, I mean, smartphones, iPhone two thousand seven. Um, Twitter, mm-hmm. all the social nets, all yeah, the all yeah. the twenty four seven, all that happened. Mm-hmm. What have you seen since you started to today? Uh, the the trends mm-hmm. in students, because mm-hmm. I know that's got to be way different. Well, um, I've seen, I'm sure there's similarities. I've seen too. positives and, and negatives. I, I mean, and that's that's always a really good question. It's a very complicated question to answer because I have to generalize a little bit to answer it. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll just begin with that caveat. But I think that students are much more um, intellectually savvy in a way, in other words, they, they know more. I mean, because of the internet, because of the constant barrage of information, yeah, they may not be reflecting as deeply as students well, back, so back, 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 back in the day, yeah. but, but you know, they, they just know things. Um, their minds are, are very turned on. They're, they're, they're very active. Um, and that can be exciting. Um, but also I think students tend to be a little more sensitive now, um, to criticism, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, my daughter grew up playing on soccer teams where everybody gets a trophy. And I mean, that's fine. I mean, when I grew yeah. up, it's like only the one, the one guy who like had a mustache in the eighth grade, you know, <laughs> he, he got the trophy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one else did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so I think that, you know, I think they're more sensitive to criticism and they're more sensitive to being challenged, ironically enough. So even though they're more kind of um, culturally adept and variated, they're also very sensitive to their own sense of self, yeah, you know, being, that comfort, being compromised. Yeah. yeah. So I'm constantly trying to negotiate and, and, you know, professors have standards and, 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 and ho- hopefully they have legitimate standards, but, you know, th- things are just really, really quick and shifty right now, just in terms of like students don't write as well as they used to. 
Um, even though they're texting all the time, I mean, to write reflectively and to put thoughts together in a logical way. I mean, that's just because so much of their, their training in high school is like journaling and, and, you know, exploring subjective states, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I try to come up with assignments to kind of valorize what they're good at yeah. and don't highlight what they're not necessarily good at. And I think that's mm-hmm. fine. I think that's just part of evolving as a teacher. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to say students are worse. I'm just going to say they're different. Um, and in some ways, they're more fun to teach. Right. Because they have more of a sense of irony and sarcasm and they're into the pop culture. I mean, they're just kind of – in some ways, they're just more interesting to talk to because of this wide range of kind of, you know, cultural knowledge. That's interesting. Yeah. You say that sarcasm and irony mm-hmm. and outside of our country mm-hmm. doesn't really fly as good as well. You think you think not? Like I, I think other cultures don't appreciate don't, sarcasm and irony. Yeah. You know, I've, yeah. I've found that out. Yeah. I've made people mad in other <laughs> really, countries. Really, really. Yeah. yeah, they just didn't pick up on it because I mean we we sort of irreverent with each other. And, yeah, you know where they the British say taking the piss out of mm-hmm. someone, you know, just mm-hmm. beating them up, roasting them verbally right, and right. stuff. And but when you're talking about things mm-hmm. in an ironic way, some people it, it flies over there. Yeah. Some people I'm yeah. telling you, they don't yeah. get it. So yeah, yeah maybe, that, that is, that's, maybe interesting. that's an American thing. The Brit the Brits have a keen sense of irony, but it's very dry and subtle. Right. Yeah, uh, it's I, different. I think, different I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's um, I still love teaching though. I still mm-hmm. I still love it. I mean, that's that's one. I'm glad I chose this job mm-hmm. because if it's not not that I would do it for free, I wouldn't. But 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 I just I really love doing it. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just largely because I have my, my own child now. You know, teaching became much different to me when I had my daughter mm-hmm. because then I started thinking, what kind of professor would I want my daughter to have? And I wanted to be that professor. Yeah, yeah. So I've become a better teacher because I've had yeah, a child of my own. Well, yeah. that's, I think, yeah. I hope. Yeah, yeah. I've tried yeah. to be, yeah. Well, that's that learning and growing. That's and the posterity. Changing posterity, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's built yeah. in. Yeah, it's something reminds me a little tangent, but uh, the library is starting a series called Mixed Doubles. Have you yeah. heard of this? Uh-huh. Well, there's two completely unrelated topics being presented yeah. by different speakers, at this, you know, one after the other, uh-huh. that seemingly have no... Connection, hmm. but then it leads to discussion after. I like that. So, yeah, I like it's that idea. Cool. Yeah. yeah, mixed doubles. So. Yeah. Start soon. Check out uh, the City of Winston Salem Library I will. for South yeah. County. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where was I going? Oh, uh, so trans uh, with students. Um, have you read Jonathan Haidt's book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind? I've not. I'm he not. touches on that yeah. how students have become, you know, the particip- you know, it's the results of the participation trophy era but yeah. also um what uh social media has done yeah 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 i mean it's just changing so students are more they have more facts mm-hmm. but knowledge doesn't actually mean connecting the dots right. to what it means that's right and it also activated and they want to be activists and do mm-hmm. activism. So, mm-hmm. you know, that word active, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, your mind's really active, mm-hmm. but sometimes you need to slow down and mm-hmm. reflect and stuff. And I see that with kids these days. They just don't want to stop and be asked open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. You know, just, is it on the test or is it yes or no? And they're sent that message from their teachers yeah. who are teaching to the test, yeah. you know, even in the grade school. I mean, so, you know, a big, a big part of university experience now is this whole idea of the trigger. Right. That that, you know, students often say, well, I don't want to read that book um, because it might trigger something in me traumatic or it might just make me uncomfortable. So there have been you know, these big issues of like students saying, well, I'm not going to read a book if it's about this or that or the other thing. 
Because it's colonized. Or yeah, something. and I just, you know, I mean, there was a big deal at like, um, I think, Duke some years ago where um, the summer book assigned for incoming freshmen mm-hmm. was, was by a lesbian. It was like a graphic novel with a lot of sex in it. And there was one particular evangelical student mm-hmm. um, who like raised this big brouhaha. Yeah. And I think the university had to really deal with that because yeah. he said, we shouldn't have to read this book. And Duke's saying, no, look, you know, you're coming to college. You, yeah, you should be challenged on your ideas. But, the, but so, I, I mean, so I don't know. I mean. I, on the one hand, I want to say as a professor, it's like, you know, part of learning is dealing with yeah. otherness and, and, and working through yeah. confusion and, and emotional pain. So even if you don't like it, you should read it. But then yeah. there's another part of me that says, well, that might be my, my kind of white male privilege. You know, there may be. Yeah, you know, if I was raped, I wouldn't want to read ex- Exactly. Exactly. So, 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 you know, I need, you know, I'm trying to be sensitive to that at the yeah. same time. So that's kind of trying to find, negotiate between these two extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, they might have, these kids might have been coddled to a point where they say, I don't want to deal with anything other. Mm-hmm. You want to push those. But then there are some kids who are like have a legitimate reason for, no, I, I don't want to have to read that. Yeah. That's not going to help me learn. That's yeah, going to traumatize me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's valid. I think, yeah. I think where I, push back is when it gets to this whole notion and I said colonization mm-hmm. earlier and I'm like how far do we go back with that because mm-hmm. then we're Tigers and Euphrates again mm-hmm. if we're going to play that game mm-hmm. you know like oh western society so colonist mm-hmm. it's like well every place kind of mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. And every place has a dark past mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. to the victor go the spoils kind of way so here we are at the farthest west that man can go mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and here we are so we're been through the enlightenment mm-hmm. we're we're here in a state where there's so much comfort that we're bored and we we want to call melancholy depression and just <laughs> give me the pills yeah and let yeah. me drink my booze and yeah. leave me alone you know and let me get a- angry about things yeah. that i hear about on television or you're gonna go slay the dragon or, or you're gonna <laughs> you channel that yeah. and you're gonna go to the gym and you're gonna find that eye of the tiger yeah. and you're gonna go figure out where the dragon is yeah. and you're gonna yeah. learn how to manipulate and and take care of the dragon and and defeat it in a noble way. And what are you going to do? You're going to bring the gold back and share it with the community. All right, man. That's the hero's journey. That's right. right Well, we'll end on that, but I want you to plug your books, any latest projects, your podcast, anything. Well, so, you know, my, 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 my last, um, I guess my last sort of philosophical slash psychological book was Keep It Fake, in, Inventing an Authentic Life. Um, more recently, I published a book of short stories um, called Polaris Ghost, um, kind of weird short stories like the the Grimm Brothers um, in a hallucinogenic state might be a way to think about that Chuck book. Plank or yeah, maybe. yeah. <laughs> um, kind of like, you know, uh, yeah. Um, so that came out, and now I'm, I'm working on a, a biography, actually, of a 19th century British writer, Charles Lamb, who's okay. a contemporary of Coleridge and Wordsworth and all those guys guys and i'm currently working on a, on a book on weirdness mm-hmm. i mean i think that'll be my next book something called like how to be weird mm-hmm. um the, the, and it kind of ties into what we're talking about that there's this emphasis on normalcy in our culture mm-hmm. and like when we feel disoriented or vertiginous or dizzy or out of whack um sometimes that's when we feel most alive yeah you know, but we're very much afraid of those days for, for the most part well, so peer pressure I all that stuff of, yeah. yeah so that's kind of what i'm exploring now um but yeah if you want to go out and buy my books against happiness <laughs> everyone loves a good train wreck um keep it fake are all very much connected to the conversation mm-hmm. andy and i had today yeah and what's your website um it's ericgwilson.net mm-hmm. ericgwilson.net yeah dot check net, it out people not dot com dot net and yeah. you're on Facebook, I'm on Facebook. Twitter, I'm on Twitter. All that, all, all that stuff. You can find me. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I appreciate your time today. And I really I lo- enjoyed it. I loved it. our conversation. Yeah, it was yeah. really fantastic. Thanks, Andy. Yeah.